the spirit of Christmas. Uh, yeah, we're beginning a, uh, a new series today, just four parts, uh, Christmas series. If you're like me, you grew up um, and you heard the Christmas story a lot. In fact, uh, we had a tradition growing up where we would read uh, the, the story in Luke um, on Christmas morning when we were home. Uh, I also went to church as a kid, so I saw a lot of flannel boards um, it, kind of describing all the things that happened. I feel like I've got a pretty solid uh, recognition of kind of how the story goes, who the important players are. And uh, as I was um, studying uh, to, to kind of, you know, think about what we're doing for Christmas, I, I, I was struck by the fact that there's one character uh, that I just have never really paid attention to. And ironically, this character may be the most important character in the entire story. Um, and that's the character of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christmas. It's ironic that we as Christians, um, we confess a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. We talk a lot about the Father. We pray to Him. We talk a lot about the Son. Um, but we, we sometimes miss the Holy Spirit. And I hope that as you journey with us uh, this Advent season, you're going to see um, how, especially in Luke, Luke is just putting the Holy Spirit front and center and telling us what the Spirit is like, who He is, what He does. And what's really cool is that the very same things that the Spirit did at the first Christmas, He's doing now in our midst. And it's part of who he is, it's part of his character, his, um, his, his, we call it the economy of God, his economic function in the world to do the very same things he did at the first Christmas, now among this, among this, this group, among this community, here today. And so as we travel through the scriptures, I hope your, your ears will be open to that and you'll actually begin to expect and hope and pray in a new way this Advent season for the movement of the Spirit uh, in your lives. And so I'd like to begin um, by thinking about uh, a question that plagues a lot of Christians. And as a pastor, I hear this a lot. I've felt it a lot in my life. And it goes something like this. How come the cycles never quit coming? How come the same stuff, the same uh, problems, the same issues in my life keep showing up over and over again? You know, how come I bang my head uh, against the wall in business and it just doesn't seem to happen for me? How come our relationship, my spouse, we have the same arguments over and over and it feels like we're never moving beyond them? How come, how come, and and my, my question is, it's not like I don't pray about this. I'm constantly asking God to do something and yet it feels like he doesn't. It feels like the same stuff just keeps showing up over and over again. And the question is, isn't the Holy Spirit, isn't God supposed to help smooth our paths? Isn't that something that he's supposed to do? Like, don't we read that God smooths our paths and, and makes things work? Why is it that we keep experiencing these same roadblocks over and over and over again? What is the gift of the Spirit to those of us who are looking for a new way of living life, a new way of doing life? In the youth group, you know, we talk a lot about the kids' social um, experiences because, you know, especially in junior high and high school and into college and then post-college, really up till about 33, 34 when you become an adult, uh, social issues are real big. They're big for us and we have the same social issues over and over and over again, like the same relationship problems. And it's like, why? What, God, aren't you going to come and do something? So I'd like to have uh, that question in the back of our mind as we um, pick up the story. We're going to be going out of order. Uh, so this actually takes place after Jesus was born. Set the stage for you. He's born, um, and his parents, Mary and Joseph, are going to take him to Jerusalem. They're going to take him to the temple to present him for the, before the Lord. 
And if you were with us last week, you saw a child dedication. Uh, Matt and Deborah Bound dedicated um, Isaac, their son, to the Lord's service. And this is exactly what Mary and Joseph are going to do with Jesus. They're going to say, God... Father, we're giving you this child for your will, not for ours. We're going to say, while our hands are off, whatever you have for this child, we want you to take him. You be the one who directs his paths. We're, we're just going to be hands off, and we're going to follow you in whatever you, you say and decide. And that's actually a vow that Matt and Deborah took last week for their own son. So this is what Jesus, uh, Joseph and Mary are going to do. And we pick up the story right at um, the temple and we uh, read in Luke two twenty five to 35. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and committed to God. He was looking forward to the comfort of Israel and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Christ, the Messiah. He came into the temple Led by the Spirit, just as Mary and Joseph, the parents, brought in the child Jesus to present him before the Lord as was customary under the law. Simeon <laughs> grabbed him, took him in his arms, and blessed God. He said, Lord and King, now just as you have said, you're dismissing me, your servant, in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples. A revealing light for the nations and the glory of your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were stunned, shocked at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Mary, listen, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will generate opposition. Mary, listen, even your own soul will be run through with a sword in order that the private thoughts of many be exposed. Do you notice the Holy Spirit just bursts onto the scene? Uh, he's, he's with this man, Simeon. And I'd just like to highlight a few things in the text for you. Uh, Simeon's just and committed to God. Uh, in some translations, just or righteous and devout. He's not perfect. He's not righteous in that sense. He's, but he's a good guy. He's a guy who likes to do things right. And not only that, his whole life has been spent in commitment to God. He's, he's one of those people that, you know, you look at him in the pews and you kind of hope someday you'll be sort of like them because they really seem to have it together and they really seem to, to be following God. That's Simeon. That's who he is. And he's looking forward to the comfort of Israel. Uh, that's an interesting um, word choice for Luke there. Uh, comfort of Israel. We know, uh, we, we actually have some texts from the uh, ancient rabbis, um, and they talk about the possible names of Messiah. And one of those names is Menachem. You really got to get the guttural in there in your throat. You got to, if, if, if the people in the front row are, are still dry, I have not said it right. Menachem! There we go. <laughs> Uh, Menachem, and Menachem uh, is actually a character in, in, the, in the Bible, his, he's in 1 Kings, he's a king, and his name in Hebrew literally means comfort. And so the ancient rabbis around the time that Jesus uh, was born were looking for somebody uh, who was going to be the Menachem, the comfort of Israel. And when they were thinking about that person, they were thinking about uh, a king like the first Menachem, uh, uh, somebody who would come and, and be Israel's right, just, comforting uh, uh, consoling ruler because Israel had been kicked out and, and beat down and Israel was, was under the foot of the Roman Empire and they were looking for somebody to come and be, be the guy that would, would take things back and say, it's okay, Israel, God's still with you and, 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 I'm, and I haven't let you go and, and under the, this king's authority, all will be well. You will finally have the consolation you've longed for. 
And so when you even read Comfort of Israel, you might actually uh, just hear messianic salvation, the, the coming of God's appointed king to save Israel. And that's exactly what Simeon is looking forward to, this one guy who's going to do it all. And Luke points out that the Holy Spirit rested on him. I'd like to just make a little point here. Um, if you're familiar with Christian theology, you know that as soon as you believe, at the very moment of your, of your faith in Christ, at that moment, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you. This is something that's irrevocable. The Holy Spirit does this for every single person who at just one moment in their lives trusts Christ for life. If you, if you trust Jesus for uh, life, for forgiveness of sins, if you've ever done that, the Spirit lives in you. The Spirit has regenerated you and made you perfect and right before God. That can never be taken from you. However, you may have noticed, and this is a real thing that people in communities of churches experience, there's some folks who seem to have a little bit of an extra, I don't know, a gift. Sometimes we'll say, oh, that person is, is just gifted um, with the ability to help, or this person is just gifted with the ability uh, to, to teach, or this person is just gifted to be uh, loving and shepherding and comforting to people. This person has an anointing, anointing sometimes we hear that language in churches. What Luke's pointing out is he's like, look, every, everyone who believes has the Spirit, but there's some people, especially, especially just and committed to God people, for whom God sends the Spirit as like a kind of an extra special oomph to give them something that the church needs. In Simeon's case, as we're going to find out, that is, it's a gift of truth or insight. That Simeon's able to see behind the veil, see something special, something true about the world. Um, and this is uh, the first thing in your note sheets. Uh, God loves sending the Spirit's gift of truth or insight to steady, committed followers. And we may notice this in our lives. Um, typically, uh, elders in churches tend to be people who've been around for a while. Uh, I, have a, I have some Pentecostal friends and uh, apparently in the Pentecostal churches, they'll, um, as soon as you turn 18, if you're male, if you've spoken in tongues, you can become an elder. They just sign you right up, and you become like, you know, right in front. You're the one, all the lot, and it's a lot of pressure. Well, in our, in our, we don't do that. If you're 18, like, you've got a long ways to go. Uh, You've you got to be, what's, what's the youngest that we've had an elder at this church? It's probably me. No, Neil, Neil, because Neil, Neil was like 26 or something. That's rare, that rarely ever happens. Usually we have people who have been committed, steady, you know, staying with it. And those are the people that we, we recognize tend to have an, a, a, a gift of insight or truth from God, wisdom, something special where they're, they've been tasked or, or in, you know, caused to, to have that gift for the church. Steady, committed followers are the ones that God usually, that God loves to send the Spirit to, to give this gift to. Doesn't mean you have to. Um, I know a guy who uh, was given a gift of insight. And when he was 23 years old, he uh, was traveling th across the country and he, he randomly knocked on the door of this town because the word, the, uh, God had given him a word. And the, this man opened the door and he said, you're the preacher of the Baptist church down the street, right? And the guy said, yes, hello, I'm so-and-so. And then this kid says, yeah, well, uh, that $15,000 gambling debt you've racked up is really hurting the church, so you need to, you know, sort that out. True story. I met this kid. It's a fact. Not exactly the most, you know, committed, steady guy, and he did get the gift of truth or insight, but generally speaking, generally speaking, it's for those who stay the course and meet um, the road as it comes. Let's go back to the text and hear again 
Simeon uh, comes into the, uh, the temple. Again, the Spirit's leading him the whole way. Just as the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to present him, as was customary, Simeon grabs him, uh, took him in his arms, and blessed God. This is, uh, this is probably very uncomfortable for Mary and Joseph. Uh, having, um, for those of you who know, when an, an old person uh, comes, runs up to you that you don't know, and, and grabs your child away from you, uh, you're, you're like, oh, no, that's not okay. <laughs> that's, and so you can imagine Mary and Joseph are like, mm, wait. And then he, sa- he, he, he blesses God. He says, Lord and King. Literally the word there that we get our word despot, despota from, uh, emphasizing God's, God's sovereign lordship, his, his, his king, kingliness. Now just as you said, you are dismissing your servant in peace. Uh, you can see the poetry there. This is actually, um, he speaks in poetry, that God is, is the king, the despot, and, and, and uh, Simeon is, is just a servant. And now he can be dismissed in peace, for his eyes have seen God's salvation, which you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a revealing light for the nations and the glory of your people Israel. It's interesting um, the kind of insight that Simeon has. Because everything he says is true, right? Like, he literally is looking at the salvation of the world as he, as he holds Jesus in his arms. That this child will grow up, and, and through his, his life and activity, his ministry, that he really will save the world. All sins will be taken care of. But if you listen to what Simeon thinks is going on, it might be a little bit different. He says, he says this child is going to be what? A revealing light for the nations. Uh, that's the word apocalypse, revelation, a revealing light, an apocalyptic light. In, our, in English, we tend to associate apocalypse with um, like violence and nuclear explosions. Uh, Terminator 2, you, you know, that sort of thing. Um, that's because uh, we have the book of Revelation, the apocalypse, apocalypsis of John, and, and Revelation does tell of a lot of turmoil, a lot of upheaval. And what Simeon has intuited, and this is true, is that when God's light comes, it, it's, it's accompanied by major upheaval. And, and that upheaval exposes, it reveals those of everyone for who they are. Right when, when upheaval happens in your life and you've seen this, uh, there are those who respond to that with faith, and then there are those who respond to that and say, nothing means anything, I hate you, God, if you're there, and, and I'm running away. What, what upheaval, what apocalypse, what revelation does is it shows us who's who. It shows us that Caesar and, and Rome, that they are against God. And it shows us in Israel that there are some folks in Israel who are for God, and yet there's probably some folks in Israel who aren't for God corrupt religious and political leaders. And, when, and, and, and Simeon sees this child and he knows that this child's going to grow up to be this phenomenal king, this powerful king that's going to kick the boot of the Roman Empire off and, he, and, he's gonna, it's, and when Rome does it, Rome's not going to like that. It's going to reveal Rome to be evil and against God and as he does it, he's gonna, um, there's going to be religious and political elites that are against Jesus and he's going to expose them as being against God and so Simeon uh, intuits has this, this special gift of insider truth knowing that, that, that Jesus is destined for this incredible, powerful political career. And it's going to result in the glory of Israel. Once uh, Israel unites behind uh, this Jesus, and once it's kicked off the, the threat of Rome, uh, Israel's going to be revealed as truly God's people. Their glory, their majesty, will be revealed for all the nations. No one will question ever again that Israel is in fact um, 
elected and special to God, following God completely. But of course, that's entirely wrong. Not entirely, close. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus grows up, a movement forms around him, and then he's executed as a blasphemer and um, as an insurrectionist. He, he doesn't start this incredible political movement. And yet, everything that Simeon says is totally true, just not in the way he expects it. It's completely different. The context of, of what Simeon sees as happening is, is just not right. He is, he's given this gift of insight, this powerful truth of who Jesus is. He's given truth about what Jesus will do, and yet he doesn't understand it. He doesn't see the full context. It's an interesting and powerful point, and it's the second thing in your note sheets. Those given the gift of truth may have an insight, but not all truth. And insight, but not all truth. This is so critical because as human beings, we want to follow somebody. So we, we want somebody who's got it figured out. And there will come people, there have come people who have special insights and special truth and, and they gather followings. And, and after a while, people, even Christians, can look at leaders and say, oh, this person's got it all, I just need to follow them. I, don't have to, I can turn my brain off and, and turn my heart off and turn the Bible, close it, and I can just follow because this person has it. That's a terrible way of going about life. Because even if someone really is given an insight or some special gift of truth, they don't know everything. Simeon gets a lot right, but not everything right. So if you think that I've got it all figured out, you're right. I'm the only one. I'm the exception to the rule. And so you get, everyone here, just turn your brain off, close your Bible, just listen to the sound of my voice. No, I, I mean, obviously, like, what I'm saying is that, is that we need, in this congregation, people who check me, check elders. I, this is a... This is a special plea um, for those who are elders in this church, uh, those who have um, special insight that's different than mine, special insight that supplements or in some cases contradicts mine. I would love for you to be the kinds of people who are sharing those insights, sharing that truth with this whole congregation. I don't want this to be, it shouldn't be, uh, just fed by Tom. It needs to be fed um, by the Lord. And there are things and insights that I don't have that we do have in this congregation. So if you're thinking about that, you let Dave Bacon know. Dave, you'll be first. Uh, I'm going to take a vacation next three weeks. You're up, buddy. Uh, just throw, some, throw some, some gems out there, and I'll, I'll see you in the new year, all right? Cool, man. Let's go back to the text. This is where it gets brutal. So the child's father and mother, Mary and Joseph, are stunned at what was being said about him. Uh, if you follow older translations, it'll say something like, we're marveled or wondered. Uh, this, this word is, um, it can either mean marveled or it can mean disturbed, depending on the context. So if you have really, really good, something that's really happy, you're, you're like, you're stunned this way and it's a good thing. But if something really awful happens, you might be stunned and disturbed um, in another way. And I suggest to you that the overall context, if I were to translate it fully, I would say Disturbed. Remember, crazy old guy, when was the last time, you know, a crazy old guy takes, you know, something that you care about, rips it out of your hands, blesses God, says crazy stuff that you can't understand. I mean, when that happens, you're like, Mary and Joseph, they don't know if this is on the level. So 
So Simeon, he's, he senses this, and so he blesses them. Probably, um, most likely, like an ancient Israeli or Hebrew blessing, you know, may the Lord um, bless you and keep you, something like that. Trying to calm them down. And then he lays the hammer down. He said to his mother Mary, Listen, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will generate opposition. Even your own soul will be run through with a sword in order that the private thoughts of many will be exposed. Merry Christmas! Hey! Good news, friend! Uh, your kid, that remember what they're doing. Remember what they're at the temple for, Mary and Joseph. They're presenting Jesus to the Lord, saying, Lord, whatever you want to do with him, we, we endorse that. We're for it. He's in your service. Whatever you want, we'll go for it. And Simeon's like, yeah, about that. Uh, Mary, there's going to come a time where you're going to feel as if, I mean, we can imagine uh, maybe when Jesus' side is pierced, that something like Mary's soul is being pierced as she loses uh, her son. There's all this tumult that your son's going to bring about. You, you thought salvation was going to be awesome, right? Salvation's going to be great. People are going to follow, and there's going to be this amazing movement, and, and things are going to change, and it's going to be wonderful. That's what you thought, Mary, except that anytime there's a movement of revolution, there's always a counter-opposition. There's always those who don't want it, and there's those who will fight and kill and steal to make sure it doesn't happen. And guess what? That's what your son's in for. Get ready. It's going to be a tough ride. That's the thing about the gift of truth. When you're given the gift of truth, it very often, maybe even in most cases, hurts. We all want to say that we're for the truth. We want truth, right? Everyone wants the truth. When you get the truth, there are barbs in it. There are things that you don't like. We all want to think that we're the good guys in the story, that we have things figured out, that the bad guys are other people. We want to think that the truth is just going to be wonderful and, and all is going to be well, except that when it actually comes, it comes with tumult, it comes with upheaval, and it comes with, with, with pain. Couldn't, couldn't God have spared Mary this gift? Couldn't the Holy Spirit have like cut Simeon off after the good stuff? Why would God let that happen? Why would God tinge truth in our lives with pain? Why would God make truth hurt human beings? And if the Holy Spirit is moving now as he did then, is the truth that he's giving us this Christmas also going to have a barb, also going to hurt? And if so, why? I was thinking, because, you know, the gifts of, the gifts of Christmas, you know, a lot of gift stuff, Holy Spirit gifts. So I got to thinking about some of the best gifts I've ever gotten. I made a collage Oh, yeah, most of the time the, tr the gift of truth hurts. That's the next thing in your note sheets, hurts. And so I made this uh, cool collage of all my favorite gifts over the years. Uh, that Diamondback bike, um, the one that I had was different. I couldn't find a picture of the really cool red one that I learned to ride on, but that was a great gift. Um, probably the all-time greatest gift I ever received was the Black Seas Barracuda. Um, that thing is like... There's no, Lego does all kinds of stuff now. I went to the Lego store and they've got like, they have like Batman Legos. It's ridiculous. No, this was the highlight. This was the high watermark of all things Lego. When you're a kid, 
those cannons, if you can see them, the cannons actually fire. They fire like little shots. And there's a monkey that's hanging from the, uh, the, the what are those called? I mean, that's, that is the coolest. And when you're a kid, like a pirate, that's a, that's a cool deal. I remember building that thing with my dad. That was an excellent Christmas gift. Um, if you were to tally up all the video game hours that I've logged in my life, probably no more were spent than on that, the Game Boy top right. Um, truly, there's nothing like it when you're a kid getting that little game, but with those Game Boy cartridges. Because back then, you know, you had to put a cartridge into the machine to make it work. I mean, it was really physical. It was awesome. Love that gift. Uh, got a little older. Suddenly, um, it was not enough to listen to music in my room. I had to take it with me. But CDs are very unwieldy. Uh, so thank goodness Sony invented the Discman. Uh, if you remember that thing, this one, I got a special one where it had like kind of oiled it so that even when you're banging around, like it wouldn't skip. It was awesome. Love that thing. Um, and then, of course, the, uh, the cell phone, right? When um, I went to college and my parents were like, we want to be able to call you at any time, so they gave me that gift, which I didn't like at the time, but I learned to love. I used to get rad gifts. Like, those are sweet. A lot of you have siblings, so you don't know what it's like to be an only child at Christmas. Let me tell you, it's great. Uh, it was awesome. Um, unfortunately, not everyone can be an only child. The human race would go extinct eventually. But for those of us who got that, it was a really good deal. What I've noticed, though, what I've noticed as a millennial, when I finally reached adulthood at about 30, 32 years old, when I got there, I noticed a shift in the kinds of gifts that I got at Christmas. And, it, and, and really not for the better. This is what I expect. This is what I expect this year. <laughs> cool, dude. <laughs> the kids, the kids are, have like Barbie dream house or whatever. I'm like, oh, these are excellent boxer briefs. <laughs> what a wise choice. Uh, this is how I feel about that. Um, Aaron's at home with the kids. They're sick. But that's, that's how I feel, Aaron, if you watch this you know, on the internet. Uh, it's just, it's a tough, it's tough. And so then I was thinking, why is that? Why, what's changed? Uh, because I remember Christmas being awesome as a kid, and it is awesome to give, my, give gifts to kids, but for a selfish person like myself, I'd like to get something decent. And it just doesn't seem to happen anymore. I was thinking about it. And what I realized is that up until the age of 30 uh, or 33, in my case, your parents provide everything for you. Right? So up until the age of 33, my parents did everything for me. Not just what I wanted, but what I needed. Right? So for the first 30, 33 years of my life, if I needed shelter or provision or food, then my parents provided that. And for all millennials, that's what you have to look forward to. It's a great deal. Uh, first generation in human history. I mean, I'm so proud of us uh, for doing that. But it's a really good, good deal. The problem is, the problem is that they're spending so much money on all that stuff that you need that they really only have an opportunity, you know, once, twice a year, Christmas, birthday, to give you some of the stuff that, they want, that you want, right? And so they're waiting for Christmas or your birthday to, to shower some, you know, decent gifts. All the time, you're getting gifts, you don't even realize it. You're getting socks and shirts and, and, and underwear. You're getting that all along and food, and shelter, those gifts are being showered on you. You don't even think about it. All you can think about is your Christmas gift. But then something happens. You become an adult. And now you are responsible for providing for yourself not only what you want, but what you need. 
And so you, millennials, young, you know, junior high, high school, you'll do the same thing that I did. You'll completely ignore all the stuff that you need and only shower yourself with gifts all the time of stuff that you want. And so you're going to go through life and you're going to constantly be... St- now, you don't have to wait for Christmas to get that stuff, that you, those gadgets. Those co- you just... I was paid. What? I can just buy it. I don't have to wait for anything. It's incredible. And so you do. You go and, and there's a new record that you want. You, I'm sorry, a new uh, Spotify playlist that you want. And you, and you get it. There, there's a new system of, of video games and you go and you get it. And there's a new, whatever it is, you just go get it. And what you realize is you look at the end of the day and you're like, oh man, I don't have money for like the basics. Eh, whatever. I can survive on like a, you know, a, a bare mattress in, in a room that's, that's dirty and gross. That's fine as long as I get all the stuff that I want. Well, that works until you get married. <laughs> this, is just, this is a true story. Look, Tori, I'm, I'm giving you some, some real solid nuggets here. Hang on to these. Okay, once you get married, it turns out that um, your spouse is probably going to want you to take care of your basic needs as well, and not just your wants. And so, if you find yourself getting boxers, and an Oxford collared shirt and socks during Christmas, this might be a subtle way of saying, you look terrible. (laughs) You're like, oh, I had socks, really? But see, the thing is, none of you know, because I I wear shoes, which is why I don't understand the need for new socks, but most of it, because I don't cut my own toenails either, I just have holes in all my socks. I just cut through them like a razor blade by the end of the... But who cares? You can't see it, Right? My wife can. She's embarrassed. And, you know, some of the clothes that I have aren't fitting as well as they used to. But the last thing I want to do is go, Tom, you look terrible. The thing is, um, about the gift of truth, is that the gift of truth hurts because it's something about you or your circumstance or your context that you really need to change. Um, I mean, I, I do need to sort of present myself in a professional way as, as somebody that is credible, that can do those things. I've got to do that, right? And so somebody's got to come along and say, oh, uh, yeah, about that. Similarly, the gift of truth that the Spirit gives at Christmas, it, it, it's, it's something that, that Mary, when she hears it, it is like, I, that, no, no, I don't want that. In fact, maybe she just forgets it as soon as it's said. Maybe she just dumps it as soon as it's been said. But maybe she remembers it later. Maybe she remembers it as she starts to see people rising and falling around her son's ministry. Maybe she starts to hear it again when she sees upheaval and tumult. And she starts to think, things aren't going to go real well here and I've got to brace myself. I have to remember my pledge to God. I have to stay and remain faithful even though I don't want to. Maybe that hurt, that pain that was the gift of truth turns into something of value and, and sets her so she's ready and capable and able to deal with what is coming her way. Similarly, the gifts of truth in our lives, the gift of insight, when people give them to us, are designed by God to prick us so that we can start to prepare, start to change, adapt to what he needs us to be like, for him to accomplish his will. I have a friend, uh, he used to live in England, and in his 50s, uh, someone gave him a word of the Lord. Uh, a younger person came and said, 
uh, John, I want you to, uh, I, I got a word from the Lord, and it's just, it was a, a Bible verse. And John was like, okay. So he goes home and he reads it, and the, I don't remember what the text was, but it was some random prophet in the Old Testament saying something like, um, prepare uh, to, to take up your family and go. It wasn't the Genesis thing with Abraham, it was something, but it was similar. Prepare to go. The next day, after he reads this verse, he gets a call um, from someone in, in L.A. saying, hey, John, we've got a job for you. We'd like, to re- we'd like you to relocate your family all across, go across the, the world and start living in Los Angeles and doing your job there. Up until that point, John had never thought about leaving England. He had never thought about anything like that. He'd never thought about leaving his grown children. He never thought about anything. And suddenly he's there, and, and then a word from God has come to him. And man, that hurt. Because he, was, he realized that God was asking him to do something absolutely nuts. Something crazy. And when he did it, he was going to be ripped out of his context, ripped away from the people that loved him, that he loved, ripped away from a lot of his family. And he had to do that if he wanted to follow the word of the Lord. That hurt. But it turned out that when he got to Los Angeles, he found that the climate, <laughs> the climate in Southern California is a lot better than England. Uh, and this was especially important because his wife um, had MS. And uh, she was given 10 years of life in which she was able to to function and move uh, in a way that she wouldn't have been able to if she'd stayed in England. And what's interesting about that story is that the, the, the person who'd, who'd given that word to John had no idea what was going to happen. The context is wrong. That person might have thought, oh, I know that this is going to happen and he's going to do this instead of this. But that person was completely in the dark about what that word of truth was going to mean. The, the, that person thought they knew the truth, like Simeon. They kind of knew, they thought they knew what their word meant, but it didn't. It meant something entirely different. It was still true, but it was beyond their knowing, beyond their ken. Likewise, I believe that this Advent season, the Holy Spirit continues to give insight and truth to us as a congregation. I believe that right now, there are people who are going to have words for other people in this congregation. Little bits of insight, little bits of truth. And, you, and here's the deal. When you get this, when you get this, and you have to give a, a word of truth or insight to somebody, know this. It's going to hurt them. You have no idea what you're getting into. Uh, you have no idea what God wants to do with this. So as a result, when you are prompted to give insight or truth to somebody, be nice. Try to love them in the middle of it. Because what appears to be insider truth to you might be world-changing to them. It might pierce their soul with a sword. You may have no idea what you're about to do. I believe that there are those of us who desperately need uh, insight and truth. Desperately need someone with a gift of insight or truth to speak into our lives this Advent season. I'm asking everyone here to begin praying. Ask God, God, give me some of your insight. Send one of your people and the Spirit to give me some truth about about me, about us, about where we are. Recognize that when you pray this prayer, you are saying to God, God, I want you to hurt me a little bit. Maybe a lot. But because it's your truth, it will end up for my good. I'm asking every one of us to begin praying that, begin seeking that. 
I'm asking every one of us to be attentive, to do we have some insight or truth from the Spirit, especially those of us who are just and committed to God. God loves to give those insights to us. Be asking for it, be ready for it, but when you do, remember, you're going to make someone miserable. So do it nice. And, and, and if you're complacent and everything's good and life is awesome, now's the time to shake it up because the Spirit wants to shake it up. The Spirit wants a little bit of upheaval in your lives. And what he's going to do with it is going to be beautiful and powerful and amazing. The last thing on your note sheets. Keep going. The gifts we want least are the ones we need most. You may not know the gifts that you don't want. But they may be the ones that you need the most. And this Advent, let us pray that the spirit of truth, the Christmas spirit, will stir us up. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, I pray um, a special measure, an extra measure of your spirit um, on your people here at Coast. I pray that that um, measure of spirit will lead to insight, lead, lead to truth, truths that might hurt, might uh, cause upheaval, might prick us a little bit, but ultimately might be for our good. I pray that we'll be people who can receive and offer insight and truth in love, in humility, and that you will grow us and make us powerful for your kingdom because of it. We welcome you, Lord Jesus, into our midst. In In your name we pray, amen.